Hello. As always, we thank those that minister to us in song. It was beautiful. And I know we've heard it before, how the song goes with the message. And I never even knew what song she was singing. She never even knew what message I was giving. So praise God for the Lord, how he works, that he's interested. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, all you provide is beautiful words. All you give is what is good. All you're interested in is for our best. And Lord, we pray that today you would just speak through the speaker, Lord, that these words would have the effect that you intend them to have, that you would open hearts that you would do the work, that your words would be a blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 8, in the book of Luke. It's It's a very wonderful story. As Jenny sang in her song about Wandering in darkness, I think that this man, he'd actually like to say amen to that song. I think he's a perfect candidate for a man who was walking in darkness. If you go to Luke 8, starting in verse 26, it is the, the healing of the demon-possessed man. It's an interesting story. It's a story that's confused a lot of people. I read an article by um, about a writer who was a British writer in the 20th century, philosopher, and he wrote a book saying, Why I'm Not a Christian. And in that book, it was a bestseller in its time. He mentioned that this story, the finding that this crazy man was in the graveyard, supposedly possessed by countless number of demons who who escaped and were bidden to be, to be released into 2,000 pigs, he, he looked at that and said that that's not something that I can believe, so I'm not going to be a Christian. There's a lot of reasons that people have for not being a Christian, and that's a pretty interesting one. I hope you didn't come in here today with any reasons why you're not willing to be a Christian if there's anybody here who's not a Christian. And I pray that you'd listen to these words and maybe they'll be encouraging that the Lord would open up and let you see the truth. Because this God that came to this man is a great God, a loving God, a wonderful God, a God that was interested and a God that looked at this man's condition and looked at our condition and he was very interested And we praise God for that. So as we read in verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the uh, Gerasenes. Some books says the Gadarenes. There's different words or descriptions of that town, but doesn't really matter for us today. But it's opposite of Galilee. It says, And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. 
and who, who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was living in a, and was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And that brings us to the first point that I'm going to deal with only four points and I'm going to get you out of here very quickly so that you can go on with your day. And I pray that we're blessed by this. But the first point is when Jesus comes knocking. When Jesus comes knocking, this man came running. And that blessed me. And, and in Mark 5, 3 and 5, 3 to 5, it actually states it a little clearer, I think. It says, and he had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. And a writer wrote about that. It says, and Jesus comes to the worst of men, the worst sinner imaginable. He stops and he has time. He has time. He takes time. He takes time and he ministers to people in their tragic conditions that the world has done the worst to and that Satan has done the worst to. And Jesus comes to them and he has time for them because he has compassion for them. You talk about rainy days. We've had a lot of rainy days. And this man was having a a lot of rainy days because it says he was in that condition a long time, which tells me that he wasn't in that condition always. That there was a time where he actually had some peace maybe in his life, a little. Maybe he had a home and he wasn't living in tombs, but things started to fall apart and they got progressively worse. And he was in a bad place, a really bad place. And you talk about rainy days. This man definitely had his share of the rainy days. And you think about that and you go to verse 28 of Luke and it says, seeing Jesus He cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what business do we have with each other, son? Or what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, when we talk about this verse, we have to understand that Jesus saw this man in his condition. Jesus did his part and came to this man. I was reading where it says, and he approached near and near to this mysterious stranger, and quite a few feelings came over him. This man's up in the tombs, and he's looking down, and he has, I don't understand what happened to this man, because I don't know how he recognized Christ. But you have to understand, this man is in a condition, a very bad condition. He's lost. He's hopeless. He's helpless. And he's up there cutting himself. He's hurting himself. He has no loved ones at that point. No one loves him. No one cares for him. He's in a desperate position. And for some reason, he looks over and he sees a boat out in the water. And he sees it coming towards him. And he looks and he, maybe the the, the demons that were in him, maybe they said, go get them. And maybe he's running down the hill thinking that he's going to cause some problems. That he's going to exert his feelings 
of anger and evil towards whoever these guests are. They're unwanted guests. And as he gets closer, something happens to this man. He's running down the hill. And remember, he's demon possessed. And at times his right man, his right mind shows up at times because it says seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him. And in Mark, it says he bowed down before him. And I think what happened was as he got close to Jesus, as he saw Jesus, as he saw his face, as he saw him getting out of the boat, he saw something that really touched him. He saw the love of Christ. He saw the love in this man. And I think that's when he bowed down before him. And Jesus is looking for us to bow down before him today. If we don't know him, his interest is that we bow down before him. This man recognized him, and that's why he bowed down before him. But it, it's interesting because my second point has to do with recognition. And recognition is really interesting. It says that he saw him at a distance, and he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, and I'm reading from Mark, that he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, that is obviously the demons are saying, do not torment me. The man is saying, please. And he bowed down before him. Now, what happens is, is that there's sometimes when we're listening to the word of God. The spirit of God in us is saying, listen to these words. I want to help you. I want to save your life. Bow down before me. I want to rescue you. I have a life for you. You don't need to be hanging out in the tombs anymore. You don't need to be hurting yourself anymore and hurting the people in your life anymore. I have, I have a, I'm on a rescue mission. I came to rescue you. And the man recognized that. And he fell down before him. But it's interesting how the demons said, do not torment me, because they knew their condition. And they knew that they were going to hell. And they knew that Jesus had the power to send them there. And they recognized him, too. Recognition is really interesting. It's kind of discouraging when you think about it. Because some people recognize him. And recognition is not enough. It's just not enough. That passage makes it real clear. The demons recognized him. And they didn't bow down before him. They didn't say, change my life. They didn't say, I can't stand this condition being run by Satan. I can't stand this. I don't want this life anymore. I want to serve the living God. I recognize you as the living God. And I want to give my life to you. Isn't it interesting that people recognize him, but they don't know him? Because recognition is not enough. There's many people in the world that recognize him. They say, Jesus, oh, I know him. I recognize him. And there's two responses that we hear in that and see in that. One is fear and one is worship. I wonder where we are today. Because I bet that most people in here, if not all, recognize him. You know, you know, he's, you know, Jesus. I know him. I, I heard of him and I, I read maybe the scriptures and I know of him. But do you really recognize him? Has your life been bowed down before him? Have you said, Lord, take me, change me? 
I bow down and worship you because you're the king of kings and lord of lords. I recognize you as my savior. And that's what this demon-possessed man did. He took it a step further. He said, I don't just recognize you as Jesus, but I recognize you as Jesus, the savior. The one who came and rescued and, and rescued me from my condition. Now, we have the benefit of seeing the rest of the story. Because after that, he went to the cross and he rescued us. He died for us. And he wants us to recognize what he did at Calvary. And by that recognition, we can come to him and bow down before him and have our lives changed. And it's wonderful that we can look at that. And I hear people say it and I I'm heard it recently and it, it has blessed me and they've called him the hound of heaven. And you think about what a hound does. He's just persistent. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you recognize him today. I know there's people in here that don't really recognize him as Savior and Lord in your life. And the hound of heaven just keeps coming. He does. And I'm blown away with that. That in spite of our reaction to him, in spite of our saying, no, we don't want you. Or no, I don't have enough time. Or no, I have a better idea. I want to worship something else. I don't want to bow down. He still keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And he doesn't stop coming. He can never be blamed for if we go to hell. Never. Because he keeps coming. He loves us that much. And verse 30. We'll just go to that because we need to move on. It says, And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered, had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss because they knew who he was. But they weren't willing to accept him. They weren't willing to have Jesus, of course. Now, there were a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And we won't even touch that a lot. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away, reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone out. Sitting down at the feet of Jesus clothed in his right mind. And they became frightened. What a reaction. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And that brings us to the third point. Transformation or tragedy. And Spurgeon writes about, he says, apart from Christ, his case was absolutely hopeless. Apart from Christ, his case was absolutely hopeless. He had tried everything. They had tried everything to subdue him, to control him, to change him. And if they had psychoanalysts, then they would have sent him to them to try to fix this man. And they couldn't fix him. They tried everything 
They could possibly try, even binding him, and they couldn't bind him. They could not help this man. And one meeting with Jesus, because he bowed down in submission and said, I'm giving you my life. All of a sudden, he's sitting down at the feet of Jesus in his right mind. One decision. One encounter. Sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And Spurgeon goes on to say that they had doubtless used all of the arts for the management of lunatics, which they understood in those barbarous days, but no chains or of iron nor bands or brass could hold him. He could not be tamed or kept in check. And yet, O oh, thou blessed Christ, thou couldst cross the stormy sea at midnight to save this one man. It may be that it's so with you also, dear friends, who are so far away from Christ in the misapprehensions of your want of hope. Yet it may be that this very hour it is time when you are to be set free from the power of the devil and brought to sit at Jesus' feet, clothed and in your right mind. There's people here that you probably aren't in your right mind, meaning the mind that Christ wants to give us the life that Christ wants to give us. Transformation or tragedy. The transformation was the man. Now he had met the king of kings, once unclothed and out of control. What is he now? He's clothed in his right mind. Once he was possessed, now he's possessed with a different spirit. He's possessed with the spirit of Christ. He's possessed with the Holy Spirit. Different. He screamed obscenities. Now he's shouting praise to the Lord who rescued him. The man who once cut and gashed himself is now healed. Lost but found. Hopeless but now filled with hope. What happened? He gave Jesus his whole heart. What changed the man? Of course, Jesus changed the man, just like he wants to change you, just like he wants to change me. And how do you, but how do you say that? He said, give me your heart. Give me the keys to everything, and he will save us. And the man who used to break chains now has his chains broken. The man who used to have a bad attitude now has a new attitude and a new purpose. The man who was clothed in his wrong mind is now clothed in his right mind. Transformation. Have we been transformed this morning? I've been transformed. I've allowed the spirit of Christ to come into my heart and transform my life. I was in darkness and now I see because the Lord loved me so much and I appreciate and I recognize that he died for me and he gave me the free gift of salvation. Or we, do we want to be like Mr. Russell and come up with another reason why we don't come to the Savior? Well, that sounds, all, that sounds good, Ron, but he hasn't seen my life. He doesn't know my condition. He doesn't know what I've done. I haven't been as bad as this man, this demon-possessed man. I don't have demons. 
How about your life? How is your life? Do you have a life where you can say the Lord is in your life? Do you have the peace that surpasses all human understanding? I worry about people who say they know the Lord and don't have the peace that surpasses all human understanding. I worry about Christians that say I recognize him, but their lives don't line up with that. I worry about that. Do you worry about that? Do you pray for others that we're not fooled by Satan, how he wants us to be deceived into thinking that we're transformed and we're not transformed? God wants to transform our lives. Do you have a transformed life this morning? Can you say that the spirit of Christ has come into you and changed you? Because it says that the fruit will show the truth of salvation. Transformation is not just a thought. It's a reality. And the way you determine that and be able to understand it is you look at the fruit. Look at your life this morning. Examine your life closely. Please look inside. You made a decision on a given day, some of you. You made a decision to give your life to Christ. Did he radically change your life? Because if he didn't radically change your life, you probably recognized him, but you didn't give him the keys to your life. You didn't fall down and say, take my life, take my heart, take my everything, take it all. I don't want anything. I'm giving it all to you, my life, everything, all my beliefs. People said no to Jesus that day. They sent him away, and that was the tragedy. They said, we don't want you here because you killed some pigs. You have offended us. And that was a tragedy. If you read in verse 37, it says, And all the people of the country of Gennesaret and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. And they were gripped with a great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. He left. They said to him, leave us. Because of pigs. You took our livelihood away. They were angry. They made a choice and they chose pigs over the Savior. They chose their lifestyle over the Savior. They chose their habits over the Savior. They said, no, I'm not giving up my habits. I'm not giving up my lifestyle. That's probably the biggest thing that stops people from coming to Christ, is we're not willing to give up our lives. I have some stuff that, Lord, I want to give you all this, but, you know, this is precious to me. You understand. You're a God of love. I want to do this and have this and then have you. And we wonder why we're not transformed. We wonder why we don't have that peace that passes our human understanding. We don't have that love of Christ. We are not like that man who bowed down at his feet and looked up at the Savior and says, now, what do you want me to do? I want to go with you. Wherever you go, I want to be with you. Do we say that? Can we say that this morning, that we have done, made a decision, that we've given our life to him truly, to where we've bowed down and says, Lord, take this little life of mine and wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, you lead me. You send me. I don't want this life. And every key I give you. Everything. I don't want it anymore. 
I don't want this life anymore. I want your life. And he says, I want to transform you. So that's what it takes to do that. And I see Candace smiling and I'm pleased to see you smiling, sister. Because that's what the Lord did for you. Because you gave him all the keys. You didn't leave one in the box and say, you know, well, not this one, no, Lord. I gave you everything, but, you know, I want to dance a little bit. I want to do my thing. I want to have this and I want to have that. You want to have pigs. Because that's what they said. You killed our pigs. Get out. Go away. We prefer having demons around than you. Scary. But then we read in verse 38, which says, but the man whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. Christians beg him. Can I go with you? Can I hang out with you? Can I go to church? Oh, there's no church today. My kids don't like when there's no church. Christians, we better not like when there's no church. We should want to be around the, the people of God every single day. This man says, Please don't leave me. I want to go with you. He was begging him. Fruit. That was fruit. That was a transformed person. I don't want to be anywhere except at the feet of Jesus. Can we say that today? Yes, you recognized him. But did you recognize him to that degree? Where he transformed your life. And now you're sitting at his feet and I can't, I don't want to go anywhere else, Lord. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I, can't, I want to be with you. Holding on to his leg. He was holding his leg tight. Don't leave me. Please don't leave me. You saved me. You rescued me. I, these chains are gone. I don't, I, I'm, I'm dressed now. I'm sane. I'm happy. I have peace. Man, oh man, would I ever want to leave you? Like the apostles told Christ when he says, do you want to go away too? He says, where would we go? You have the words of truth and life. And that man was with the wisdom that the Holy Spirit had planted. And he recognized that, man, oh man, my life is different. I don't want to leave this man. I can't go anywhere else. There's nowhere else to go. I've been there. I've been in the tomb. I've gone down to the worst place. And now he's rescued me out and has me in the best place. Take me wherever you go. You know, goofy song, but I think of a song that says, you know, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. It's a dumb song. And some of you older people know that song. But I believe, he says, I can see clearly now the pain is gone. I can see clearly now the clouds are gone. I can see clearly now, Lord. I can see finally. Wow, I can see. Now I can see out in the distance. Wow. Wow, I can see. The clouds are gone. The pain's gone. The misery's gone. The hopelessness is gone. I want to hang out with you. You're my savior. You had a tragedy and you had a transformation. And then verse 39 says, and he told him, Jesus is saying, well, you know, I got it. That you want to hang out? 
I understand you want to come with me, but I have another work for you to do. He says, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Great things. Jesus said, I've done great things for you, and you recognize it, I recognize it. Just like that, I've done great things for you. You tell them what I've done for you. So he went away. I love that. He went away. He didn't say, but you know, Jesus, that's not the protocol I like. I got a plan. I want to hang out with you for a while, and I want to kind of hang out, and let's get together and do some stuff together. He said, no problem. He went away. He said, I got it. No problem. Obedience. Instant obedience. I obey you. You are my master now. What do you want me to do? Okay, I'm gone. He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city the great things Jesus had done for him. Immediate obedience. And Mark 5.20 says, So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He says, I want you to be a blessing. So I'm sending you out to Decapolis. And that's kind of interesting how he comes back to that area and preaches, and they kind of recognize him. It's they turn around, and this man did some work that will blow our minds when we get to heaven in Decapolis. The demon-possessed man that said yes to Christ and instantly obeyed him. And he didn't just obey him and went. He did what Christ told him to do. He said, share my testimony, what I did for you. Do we share that testimony? Do we know that that's a fruit also? Do we really understand that that's what God wants us to do is to share that with the people of the world, that our job and our ministry is to share what God has done with us, through us, in us? How else can people hear and see the Savior if they don't see him in us? Do we have a life that really shows something that they can say, I'm amazed by your life and your testimony. Really, he did that for you? And then I watch you every day and I see that. I really see the life that's changed in you. I see it. Man, oh man, who is this man that you, you know and you love? Who is this Jesus guy? Where do you go? Well, I go to San Ramon Valley Bible Church. Come on down. And you invite him and people get saved. And there are people in this room that have been invited and have been saved. And I'm one of them. Somebody, Cindy Rolfe, invited me through my wife. And we came to this church and I got saved. And Dean spent time at a men's dinner talking to me, explaining the gospel, opening up the gospel to me and answering my questions. And I said, I recognize, I got it. I'll give you my life. And I got saved. The people were amazed because he was faithful. And the last point is God's great work. I think that we have to get to a point where we understand that the work of God is a great work. It is the work that nothing in the universe can touch. And I was sharing this with a young brother the other night. There is nothing that can touch what Christ does in lives. I can get people to come up here and stand here and say, this is what Christ did for me. And there's nothing that touches that comes in comparison to that. Why? Because God's about the business of changing lives. And there's nothing grander than that. Lives, not pigs. He's not concerned about pigs. He's not concerned about cars. 
He's not concerned about careers. And he's concerned about us in careers, but he's concerned about us in the career. Not the career and us. He's got his priorities in check. The great work of God. Examine. We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves to see if we have a testimony. We need to examine ourselves to see if the Lord truly is with us and in us. If we truly have the fruit. We need to examine ourselves to see what really is real in our lives. If God is truly there. We need to examine ourselves because that great work of God He's interested. He's the great hound of heaven trying to do a great work in each one of us. And he's committed. He's committed to come and come and come and come and come until your last breath or until he returns. I'm blown away with that kind of commitment. Even when we say, I prefer pigs over you, he says, I still love you. Because he left, but he came back. Do you understand that? He left the pig people, the pig lovers, but he came back. And you know when he came back, I want you to understand something. They all weren't there. Some died. Natural. Maybe they fell off a horse. Maybe they got sick because they ate the wrong thing. Maybe pig meat. And it was poison. Maybe they, something happened. But everybody wasn't there when he returned. They all didn't make it. So he left because they told him to go away. But he returned. And when he returned, there was some that didn't make it because they died. They might have lost the opportunity because that day they said, no way. Don't want him. Story. I was reading the story. It says, the man that I ate dinner with tonight killed my brother. He said, the words spoken by a stylish woman at a banquet in Seattle amazed me. She told how John H. had murdered her brother during a robbery 18 years and served 18 years in Walla Walla. Walla Walla, okay. And they settled into a life on a dairy farm. Or then he settled into a life on a dairy farm where she had met him in 1983, 20 years after his crime. Compelled by Christ's command to forgive, this young lady had gone to her enemy and pronounced forgiveness. Then she had taken him to her father's deathbed, prompting reconciliation. His father's dying, and she takes him to his father's deathbed, hoping for reconciliation. Some wouldn't call this a success story. Because John didn't dedicate his life to Christ. But at that PF banquet last fall, his voice cracked as he said, Christians are the only people I know that you can kill their son and they'll make you part of their family. I don't know the man upstairs, but he sure is hounding me. Then it says, John's story is unfinished. He hasn't yet accepted Christ, but just as Christ died for us, regardless of our actions of acceptance, and he forgave us without qualifications. It's not finished yet. He hasn't accepted Christ. But he says he's, um, 
He's amazed that he's up there hounding him in spite of him. The great work of God. That he looks down and he sees our condition. And believe me, he knows those in here who recognize him. And he knows those that really recognize him. He knows those that have bowed down to him. He knows those that have been transformed by him. He knows those that have truly said, yes, I give you my life. He knows those that have the fruit. He knows those that live a life that truly glorifies him. He knows. And he also knows those that don't know him, that have made a false profession, maybe no profession. And he says, I'm hounding you. He says, I'm hounding you. Don't you get it yet? I'm coming. And I'll keep coming, and I'll keep coming because I love you that much to keep coming. Even when you say, I'd rather look at TV. I can't wait to get out of here. Stop. Can we end now? Even when we keep doing that, he still says, I love you, though. And I still want you to hear the message. I want you to get saved. I want you to recognize me, but I don't want you just to know who I am. I want you to bow down before me and say, I give you my life. And he says, if you do that, I will truly rescue you. I'll transform you. I'll change you. I'll give you a new life. Now, we're, we're out, but I'm going to read one more story, Adel, and then we'll go. It says, the devil and his cohorts were devising plans to get people to reject the gospel. Let's go to them and say, there's no God, proposed one. Silence prevailed. Every devil knew that most people believe in supreme being. Let's tell them that there's no hell, no future punishment for the wicked, offered another. That that also was turned down because men obviously have consciences that tell them that sin must be punished. The concave was going to end in failure when there came a voice from one in the rear. Tell them there is a God. There is a hell. That the Bible is the word of God. But tell them there's plenty of time to decide the question. Let them neglect the gospel until it's too late. All hell erupted in ghoulish glee, and they knew that if a person procrastinated on Christ, they usually never accepted him. They just got excited. They said, that's great. Tell them there's plenty of time. You don't have to worry. Tomorrow. And they got excited because they knew that lie was a good lie, that it would work. Let's put it off. Yeah, I know it's the second of April. Maybe next week. Let's pray. Now I know you don't have I don't think anybody walked in here with demons. But understand there is the the Satan. And he's the the power of evil. And he's interested in in one thing this morning. Deception. And I can tell you, if you're sitting there and the spirit of 
of God has actually prompted you to say yes to him, to say, you know, I, I recognize you. Actually, I thought I got saved, but I look at my life and I really don't see anything. I don't see the peace. I don't see the joy. I'm going to make a decision. And then Satan says, whoa, no, wait a minute. Hey, no, come on. Hold up a little bit. Would you think about that this morning? Would you understand that you could be hearing two voices? It's very important that you recognize the source of both voices. And that you respond to the one voice that's Christ's spirit trying to pull you, to hound you, to accept him as Lord and Savior for one reason, that he wants to rescue you and change your life and give you the good life. That he wants you to be in heaven with him in paradise. He doesn't want you to go to hell. If you hear those two voices this morning, respond to the right one or you'll leave again. Not knowing him. And that would be a tragedy. Lord, we pray that you would just open up these hearts today. That if somebody is making a decision today, that they would stand up and they would say, I am making a decision to give my life to Christ. That they'd be bold about it. That they wouldn't leave. That they would respond to the hound of heaven this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.